Scripture reading will be found in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. Together, let's hear and read God's word. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible, if you will. The entire Bible could be outlined around the fingers of your hand. If you can remember what each finger represents, then you can easily remember the key the key is to understanding the overview of Scripture. There is one theme to the Bible. We mentioned this morning the salvation of man through Christ to God's glory. That's the theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament, the salvation of man through Christ to God's glory. There are two divisions to the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We'll talk about the rest of the Old Testament tonight. There are three dispensations of Bible history. We covered those this morning. Patriarchal dispensation, 2,500 years, Adam to Moses. The Mosaic dispensation, 1,500 years, Moses to Christ. And then the Christian dispensation from the cross to the present. And that will last until the end of time. There will be no new dispensation when Jesus comes again. Then that will end the second or the third dispensation. One theme, two divisions, three dispensations, four sections to the New Testament, and five sections to the Old Testament. We'll cover the New Testament another night, but let me give you the, the, the outline of the Old Testament. This is easy to remember. Once you hear it, it just sticks because it's so easy to remember. Here are the numbers, 512, 5512. So you can hardly forget that. 512, 5512. Now what do those numbers represent? Five books of law. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Twelve books of history. So you begin with Joshua. You go down to Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, the Enzeal, that section of history. Incidentally, all the books that follow Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, they go back into that history. They are not continuing the line of history. You're at the end of the Old Testament at that point. And then you have five books of prophecy, Job through uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. The heart of the Old Testament is about the heart. So that's the middle of the Old Testament. 512, 55, that's five books of the major prophets and 12 minor prophets. The only difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet, it's not importance, 
It's how long-winded he was. How much did he write? So you have Isaiah 66 chapters. Guess which one he is? <laughs> He's a major prophet. You have Obadiah, just one chapter. Guess which one he is? He's a minor prophet. So 512, 5512, easy to remember. We'll have a number scheme for the New Testament probably tomorrow night. We're going to look at, give you a preview, a commercial for the next couple of nights. What we're going to do is look at the New Testament in 12 verses. There are 7,957 verses in the New Testament. That's a lot, 260 chapters. But you can summarize the entire New Testament in only 12 verses. You can condense it. So tomorrow night, Lord willing, we'll talk about the first four and we'll spend a little more time because that's those four are about Jesus. And then on Tuesday night, Lord willing, we'll talk about the balance of them, about the church, Christian living, and eternity. And those 12 verses will cover the entire New Testament. On Wednesday night, while we're doing commercial, uh, when learning the Bible, don't miss this. You know, it's one thing to know academically what Scripture says and be able to, to give these facts and those kind of things. But if that's all we get out of our Bible study, we've missed the whole point of it. So Wednesday night, we'll talk about what the point of it is, about going to heaven, about what God expects from us as we go use the Bible to guide us. All right, now you're at Matthew 1. I want you to turn one page back toward the Old Testament. And you should have a page that looks something like this. It says the New Testament or the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, there is a page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of people have never discovered that page in their Bible. That has been called the most misunderstood page of the Bible. Because if you do not understand the page between the Testaments, then you can never understand the Scripture. And you can never follow what it is that God wants you to follow. Because you are dealing with two different religions. There is a religion in the Old Testament called Judaism. There is a religion in the New Testament called Christianity. You cannot follow both of those at the same time. It is impossible to do so. And yet, some people are just as likely to go to the book of Psalms to learn about how to live as a Christian or how to worship God as they are to go to the book of Acts. But Psalms is a part of that Old Testament covenant. Now, there are things for us to learn in every book of the Bible. Whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope, Romans 15, 4. And you really can't understand the New Testament unless you know something about the Old Testament. When, the New Testament, when John announced Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. What would that mean if you did not understand the Old Testament? What does a lamb have to do with religion? And why is he comparing a man to a lamb? And so you really need to understand the Old Testament in order to appreciate what the New Testament is. But we cannot keep both Old Testament and New Testament. It's not possible to do so. And even if one could keep the Old Testament, which no one can, even if one could keep it, he would not please God because that law is no longer a part of God's requirements and expectations for humanity. It's all in the New Testament. Now, if you have your Bible open still, if you want to hold it like I am, or you can turn it around and hold it the other way, but hold the Old Testament in one hand, the New Testament in the other hand, let me tell you what you're holding. And then we will dive into four questions 
that will finish up our study for the Old Testament. You're holding in one hand, the Old Testament, 4,000 years. 2,500 years patriarchy, 1,500 years under the Mosaic law, 4,000 years. In your other hand, you're holding 100 years, but the most, hundred, most important 100 years in the history of the world, from the year before Jesus' birth until the close of the first generation of the church. That's the New Testament. And everything we're doing here today is because of what happened and in and following the pattern of what was given in that section of the Bible. You have in one hand 929 chapters, the other hand 260 chapters. 23,145 verses, 7,957 verses. So about three-fourths of the Bible was in the Old Testament. And aren't you glad we don't live in that part of the Old Testament or of the Bible? I tell you, every time I read Leviticus, I am so thankful to be a Christian instead of a Jew, aren't you? It's hard to, it's hard to even, I mean, I've been to preacher school, right? I have trouble understanding and sorting through and figuring out what all those laws meant and how to apply them. Can you imagine having your soul's salvation dependent upon understanding and following all those minute laws about sacrifice? And if I do this, then I have to do this. And if I offer this, then it has to be. We don't have that. We have one sacrifice, and that's Jesus. And He covers all the things that we need. Hebrews 9, 20. Really the whole chapter, but especially the last three verses, 26 through 28. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 5. Our time will rapidly pass as it always does. So let's go to Deuteronomy 5. Now what you have in Deuteronomy, it means second law. And you have the second giving of the law of Moses to a new group of people. The law was originally given, of course, when the children of Israel were led by Moses out of Egypt. They got to Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb. One side of it's Horeb, one side of it's Sinai. And Moses went up, got the law, and then God read the law, spoke the law to the people, and it scared them so bad. They said, Moses, you talk to God. We, we don't want to, because we're, unless we die, they said. Well, this is in Exodus chapters 19 and 20, when the law is given. And we're in Deuteronomy 5, but I'll, I'll catch up to you there. I want to lay a little foundation before we get there. Now, in Exodus 19 and 20, the law was given, written with the finger of God, handed to Moses. Moses gave it to the people. And then, of course, over the Old Testament period, including Moses as a prophet, added to that foundation of Ten Commandments, all the law, and all that they have, we have in the Old Testament. Now, the people <clears throat> were... Uh, they, they were enjoined to keep the law. They said that they would keep the law. And then they were led uh, farther into uh, the, their journey. It would have only taken them 11 days to go from Egypt to Canaan. That's how long it took. Deuteronomy 1 says 11 days, less than two weeks. A journey that would take them 40 years. To, they say that same little area, 40 years. Why? Why didn't they make it in the first 11 days? Because when they got close, Moses sent 12 spies to go spy out the land and come back and give us a report. And um, one spy from each tribe. You and I only know two names from that list. If you know any of the other 10 names, you are an exceptional Bible student. 
I memorized them one time for a sermon, but I already forgot them. You know, they're, they're not memorable. Why? They had no faith. They came back and they said, well, it's a beautiful land, flows of milk and honey, and oh, but there are giants in the land, walled cities, and we cannot take it. We're like grasshoppers to them, and, that, and, and we're like grasshoppers to ourselves when, we, when we're in their presence. That's Numbers 14. Caleb spoke up the first day, and he, he quieted the people, and he said, let us go up at once and take it. We are well able to take it. Do you know why? He said that not because he didn't see the giants or the walls, because he looked over the giants' heads and he saw God. And he said, we can take this city. They may be giants, but God is greater than any giant or any collection of giants. Let's go take the city God's given us. Well, the people mourned that night. They wept in their tents. The next day they got up. Moses again tried to get them to do what God wanted them to do. And this time Joshua joins in the other, the 12th spot. And he also is a man of faith, but the people reject it and they want to stone Moses. And then God is angry and he said, okay, well, you have said that your children will be a prey or uh, will we'll die out here in the wilderness. I tell you what, they'll be the only ones that get to go into the land. And you'll be the ones that die in the wilderness. And then the people changed their mind and said, oh, well, we'll go. God said, no, it's too late. Moses said, don't go, you, you'll, you'll, you'll get whipped. And they didn't listen. You know, they wouldn't go and then they're told they couldn't go. So now they will go and they go and they get whipped and they come back. And then they wander around for 40 years. I figured it up one time. I think they had 64 funerals a day for 40 years. That was a pretty sad time to live, wasn't it? And everyone from 20 years old and upward died. 20 years old and younger lived. Now, I said all that to get us back to Deuteronomy 5. You know what Deuteronomy is? It's Moses as an old man. He dies in chapter 34. He's 120 years old, but he still has his vitality, his eye isn't dimmed, and his uh, strength has not waned. And he is coaching this younger generation that they, some of them were alive during the first giving of the law, but they were just kids. And now he's giving them the law a second time. And it has a different application. When you compare the two books, the, the book of Exodus deals with the law applied to a nomadic lifestyle, living in tents, so forth. The book of Deuteronomy deals with uh, the law applied to a city living, because they're going to live in cities they didn't build, drink from wells they didn't dig, eat from fruit from trees they didn't cultivate, because now they're going into Canaan. So it's a little different application, but it's the same law. So what you have in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments, you have again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now I mentioned we'll do a little Bible marking along. If you like to mark in your Bible, then you can do that if you haven't before. In Deuteronomy 5, you want to mark the Ten Commandments. Just put a Roman number 1, 2, 3, 4 like this, and I'll tell you what verses to write it beside. Um, if you haven't done this, the first one is in verse 7. That's Roman number 1. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number 2 is verse 8. I may not make any graven image. 3 is verse 11. Now take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So verse 7, verse 8, verse 11. Verse 12 is 4. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's Saturday. The only one not repeated in the New Testament because the day of worship changed. 
the day of worship in the Old Testament. Now, there was no set day of worship during patriarchy. They worshiped, they just worshiped. And they worshiped as family units. But it does mention in Genesis 2, 1, that God rested on the seventh day. And when God established His law, He went back to that and said, that's the criteria, the reason why you're going to worship on the day of, why seventh day is going to be the Sabbath. So for 1,500 years, they worshiped on Saturday. That changed overnight because the New Testament changed to Sunday. Why? We're not commemorating the rest that God made after making the world. Now we're commemorating the, the resurrection. Jesus came back to life on Sunday. That's why we gather on Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection that made our resurrection possible. And that's an evidence, incidentally, of... The, um, the trustworthiness of the New Testament. You have no explanation for why the Jews, a, a significant number of Jews, would change days of worship after having practiced it for over a thousand years. And overnight they changed to a different day. How do you explain that? Well, that's an evidence of the resurrection. All right, uh, let's finish this. Uh, verse 12 is number four. Drop down to verse 16. That's number five. Incidentally, the first four are horizontal or uh, vertical commands. They have to do with man's relationship to God. In fact, if you want to bracket that off, I put corners around verses sometimes. So write a corner beside verse seven, like your op your one corner pointing down from there, and then pointing back up at the end of verse 12, well, really verse 15. And those are your vertical commands that have to do with our man's relationship with God. Then your horizontal commands begin at verse 16, honor thy father and thy mother. You know, if you had been given the commands uh, mixed up, you know, just loose, put these in order, what order would you have put them in? Well, I suppose we would have gotten the first four in order that have to do with God, God's most important. And then, how would you have arranged the other, the, the second six? Uh, honor father and mother, thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, and covet. How would you, I don't know, but most likely, number five would have been number 10. We would have thought, well, that's just the kid's command. Well, let's put it at the end. God put it at the head of the horizontal commands. Why? Because if a child learns respect for mom and dad in the home, is he going to grow up to be a murderer, an adulterer, a thief, a liar, and covetous? Most likely not. But if he does not learn respect in the home, the teacher is going to have trouble with him at school. The boss is going to have trouble with him at work. The police are going to have trouble with him in society. And the elders are going to have trouble with him in the church. We have to learn respect in the home. And that's why it's in that order, in my judgment. Well, then the next ones, and I can't spend this much time on this. 17 is number 6, 18 is number 7, 19, 8, 29, and 21, 10. Those are your Ten Commandments. So Roman numbers 1 through 10 for those verses. Now, let's go back to the first part of the chapter, and that's why we're here. Let's ask four questions. I'll give them to you on a map of where we're going here are four questions. Number one, to whom was the law given? Number two, when was the law given? Number three, why was the law given? Number four, 
How long was the law supposed to last? If you know those four laws, then you have a good understanding of the basis of the Mosaic, uh, where the law of Moses fits in with the overall scheme of the Bible. So let's look first, to whom was the law given? Verse 1, and Moses called all Israel. This, this is his second sermon, by the way, in the book. This is a collection of his sermons. Second sermon begins with uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses called all Israel. Who? Israel. Uh, and said unto them, Hear, O Israel. I circled the word Israel in that verse. The statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us. So to whom was the law of Moses given? The descendants of Abraham through Isaac, the Jews, the Hebrews. Now, <clears throat> um, I read somewhere that Abraham Lincoln did not pay income tax. And I thought, well, that didn't sound right. And then I found out it was true. You know why? It wasn't because he got out of it because he was a powerful man. It's because he didn't have income tax in his day. Did you, did you know that Abraham never kept the law of Moses? You say, that can't be right. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham would have kept the law. Well, he would have, except it wasn't, it hadn't been given yet. How could you keep a law that wasn't given? See, if you wanted um, to date the, some key characters of the Old Testament, this, this helped me so much to, to understand the Old Testament. The bigger the number, the, far, the, the uh, farther it is from the cross, from the birth of Jesus, right? So we, we mentioned uh, Moses is 1,500 years B.C. So that's 1,500 years till Jesus is born. You get closer, like Malachi's, 400 years, 400 B.C. See, it's a smaller number. So if you wanted to date, you have uh, Adam, 4,000. Noah, 3,000. Abraham, 2,000. Moses, 1,500. You see what we're doing? We're coming down through the book of Genesis. We're counting off the years. 4,000, creation. 3,000, flood. 2,000, promise to Abraham. 1,500, law given to Moses. 1,000, David's king. We'll just skip on to... Malachi 400. There's four silent centuries. But, you know, you turn one page in your Bible from Malachi to Matthew, one page. That's 400 years you just flipped. No prophet given for 400 years. Waiting for the coming Messiah. So, if you f follow along with that, you know that Abraham lived 500 years before Moses. The law was not given in his day. It was given in the day of Moses to those Egyptian, uh, those Egyptian slaves, Jews, who had left Egyptian bondage and now were free men on the way to Canaan. That's the, the recipients of the law. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. They got off the boat. Genesis 10 gives the ta second table of nations just after six through nine, which is the flood. And it tells us where, uh, it tells us who the, who the lineage, who the descendants were. And Shem had five sons, and Ham had 
four sons and Japheth had seven sons. Shem, Shem's descendants settled in what we call Asia, which, and eventually they took part of Ham's descendants' land in Canaan. Japheth uh, settled what Bible calls the Isles of the Gentiles would have included Europe's. Many, many of us would have come from Europe over at some point our ancestors to be in this part of the world. Now you have not a history of the Hamites or the Japhethites, but you have a history of the Shemites and only a particular branch of them, which is the she Abraham through Isaac through Jacob. That line, because that's the line through whom the Messiah would come. Now here in Deuteronomy 5, the law was not given to all these other people. It was given to the Shemites and it was only given to that specific branch of Israel who were Shemites. Now, we saw who, to whom it was given and we saw when it was given. But now let's go to Jeremiah and see uh, the shelf life. I'll just read this on the way through or the way by. You know, you have uh, milk in your refrigerator and it has a date on it, right? Or you have green beans in your pantry and you turn and look at the bottom and say, well, these still good. Oh, best if used by this day. The shelf life dates. We're familiar with those. Did you know that the Old Testament law of Moses had a shelf life date built into it? It's Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So let's read this. Of course, Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. And he uh, received information from God to record in his book that later is repeated in the New Testament. Quite a long passage is repeated in Hebrews 8 from what we're about to read. Let's read in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. I'm in Jeremiah 31, 31. The days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Covenant is a synonym for law, an agreement between two parties, in this case, divine party God and human party man. So agreement, a covenant between the two. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We just read about that, didn't we? He said, I, I made them a law, but this is, this is centuries later. So the law was given in 1491 B.C., which was 430 years after the promise made to Abraham. We read this morning in Genesis 12. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Because Paul told us, Galatians 3.17, 430 years after. So that means that the promise was made to Abraham in 1921 B.C. The law was given to Moses, 1491 B.C. Now here you have Jeremiah, who's writing 600-ish um, B.C. I mean, he's the weeping prophet. Why is he weeping? Because Israel, Judah is carried away into captivity. That happened in when? 605, 597, 587 was finally burned. So three carried aways, three returns. So that's when Jeremiah lived. So you're looking at 1500 minus 6, 900 years. They haven't they have a long history of not keeping the law at this point. So God says, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers, they that I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. 
That's why they got carried in captivity. Although I wasn't husband of them, God said, it's not my fault. I did everything I could to help them to keep the law, but they, did, they wouldn't do it. Said the Lord, but, verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. It's going to be different. After these days, saith the Lord, I will put, in, put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Does that mean that we're not supposed to evangelize the new covenant? No, that's not what that means. What that means is there's a difference in how you get in. How did you get in? How did you become a Jew in the Old Testament? You were born as a little baby, right? You had mama was a Jew, daddy was a Jew, you were a Jew. Well, how much of the law did you know when you came, came to be a Jew? None of it. You're a baby. But then as you grew, they taught you the law. That's not how it is in Christianity. Here you have two faithful Christians have a baby. The baby's not a Christian. We hope the baby will become a Christian, but he's not a Christian. When will he or she become a Christian? When he or she is old enough to learn the gospel. They will all be taught of God. You see, you can't get into the kingdom until you're taught. And when you accept the principles of the covenant, the new covenant, and you're baptized into Christ, sins washed away, you're added to the church or the kingdom. So it's different. It's a different way of entering. And the forgiveness is, is better. Now, they had provisional forgiveness in the Old Testament. Let's go to Hebrews 8. We've been talking about that. So let's see this in Hebrews. John, we got to get a clock in here. Oh, man. Ah. Okay, I'm not going to be able to do much with this because our time just got away. But uh, Hebrews 8. Uh, let me just read a verse with you. That's all I'll be able to do because I have one more question. I've got to go really fast. So Hebrews 8, um, verse 6 has two of the betters. There's 13 betters in the book of Hebrews. Next time you read Hebrews, put a box around better every time you see it. That's the key word of the book. And why he's, what he's writing is to Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to being Jews again because the persecution is bad. And they're thinking, I liked it better when I was a Jew. People didn't treat me so bad. And Paul, if he be the writer of Hebrews, whoever the, the Holy Spirit through his author says, you can't go back. Well, there's no salvation in that law anymore. And besides, what you have is better. And in, when you get to Hebrews chapter 8, he's comparing the two covenants. Were you better off under the law of Moses or are you better off under the law of Christ? Well, he makes the point emphatically that you're better off as a Christian under the New Testament. And so he quotes the verses that we just uh, read from Jeremiah. But notice verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless. What's the first covenant? That's the law of Moses. In fact, if you take notes in your Bible, you might want to write that. Law of Moses is first covenant. Had been faultless, then there should no place have been thought, sought for the second. What's that? That's, that's the New Testament. Gospel of Christ. Now verse uh, 8. For finding fault with, I underline these two words, with them. He did not find fault with the law. It was a perfect law. God gave it. What was the fault? The fault was they couldn't keep it. 
How many people kept the law of Moses in the 1,500 years that it was in, um, in effect? Well, we'll use the same hand we used this morning to count the number of children that Abraham and Sarah had, except we get to use one digit this time. His name was Jesus. Jesus lived under that law. Jesus kept the law and never broke it. He's the only human being that ever lived under the law who did not sin or break the law. Now, question comes, okay, well, I sinned under the law. Can I be forgiven? Yes, provisionally. Well, what does that mean? That means that on the Day of Atonement, you can bring one of your animals, that animal dies, in your place. And your sins are, now this is not a Bible phrase, but it's a Bible concept. Your sins are rolled forward or are provisionally forgiven for another year, but don't skip next year's Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, because you got to do it again and again. All your lifetime, you got to keep doing it because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Hebrews 10.4. They're only a symbol of the one who would come later. I'd like to talk a lot more about that, but we got one more question and no more minutes. So let me ask the last question. Last question is, why was the law given? Well, that's Galatians 3. And I'll read verse 19 with you and then we'll draw our comments to a close. Wherefore then serveth the law? Galatians 3.19. In other words, what's the purpose? Why did God give the law? Here it is. It was added because of transgressions. I'm going to line the next word, teal, an adverb of time. What we were just talking about has a shelf life. So what Paul's talking about here. Uh, incidentally, you can give the day and the hour when the law of Moses came to a sudden halt. The day, Colossians 4, uh, 2.14, nailed to the cross. So the law of Moses lasted until the cross, and that was the end of it. You say the hour, yeah. Jesus went on the cross at what time? 9 a.m.? He came off the cross at what time? Or he died at 3 p.m. When he died, he said, John 19.30, it is finished. What was finished? Well, you can do a whole sermon on what things are ended there. But one of them was the law of Moses ended at that cross at that time. Now, why was the law given? Back to our point. Because of transgressions. But what does that mean? There is a certain characteristic of sin that makes it seem innocuous or innocent or of no consequence. So here I'm tempted to do a sin, I do a sin, and chances are it was pretty pleasant. And there were no immediate negative consequences to it. So I'm thinking, this sin, everybody says so bad, it's not so, yeah, I sort of like it. And that the bad happened to me like the preacher said, but happened to me if I sin and now look. Okay, let's say... Well, that's a characteristic of sin now, but it also was in the Old Testament. So let's say a Jew sinned. You know what they had to do? Depending on the sin, and, but we'll just summarize. Had to go out to their pen, their barn, their, their flock fold, pick out one of the animals. Now, I suppose their animals had names like we give our animals, right? Maybe 
grew up this little lamb from a lamb to a sheep. He's a year old, male, without spot and blemish. Puts a, puts a leash on him. Leads him down to the tabernacle or the temple. I used to think the priest did this. But then I read Leviticus 16 again. Priest didn't do it. I'm going to be careful not to... Be, we use discretion, I'll say it that way. The dad, the head of the family, had to end the animal's life with a knife. That's all I'll say. The priest caught the blood in a basin, carried it and sprinkled it. Now, when he rolled up that leash and put it in his pocket and walked back home, do you think he ever said to himself, sin's not so bad? No. He's thinking sin's bad. My lamb just died because I sinned. My family sinned. May I take what you're... It got quiet in here. You know why? This is resonating with us. Why? Because we're sinners and we love animals. We hate to think about a lamb being... Let me tell you about something else It's worse. There was a man named Jesus who got beat with a whip, nailed to a tree, suspended between heaven and earth as if neither one really wanted him. And the people, mean people, his enemies walked around laughing at him, mocking him and saying, he saved others, let him save himself. Come down from the cross, we'll believe you. And, and he stayed there. The nails didn't hold him there. This man would walk out of his own grave. Nails did not hold him to a tree. And you say, why? 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 Because the person that looks back at you in the mirror sinned. That's why. That's worse than the lamb. But thanks be to God. Jesus stayed on the cross, gave his life for us. It is finished went in the tomb, came out of the tomb Sunday morning. And he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Think about that phrase, shall be saved. Those are wonderful words. But are they true for you? They're true for others. But it surely would be a shame for Jesus to die on the cross, the Lamb of God, and for Him to have paid for my ticket to go to heaven. And for me to say, eh, I don't want it. Don't want it? You say, well, I'd never say that. If I stay in my pew when the invitation is extended and the ticket is held out, what am I saying? I don't want it. Nah, forget it. I don't, I don't want it. Don't do that. Or if I became a Christian, maybe when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and somewhere along the way, I've strayed from that path and that commitment that I made. And I'm here tonight, but you know, I know in my heart of hearts that I'm just not right with God. 
Hebrews 6, 6 through 8 says that I could crucify him afresh and put him to an open shame. Those are words that are hard to contemplate for me. But I know it's possible to do it, and some people do it. And some in here might have done it, might be doing it. But thankfully, He's a forgiving Lord. And He says, come back, come here, come home. And spiritually speaking, He will wrap His arms around you as you come to the front and say, I'm so glad, welcome back. Does that sound good to you tonight? The invitation is yours. You may let us stand while we sing.